So sure. We followed him. Believed in him. Then they took him away. And in an instant, everything changed. We saw him tried, convicted, beaten. How could this happen? He was supposed to save us, but instead he was hanging on that cross and we were powerless.
saying that we're free because of the resurrection and we're celebrating it. It's much more than, than Easter bonnets. Remember Easter bonnets? Anybody remember those? Um, and, uh, and just new clothes and stuff like that. It's about our risen Savior. So just worship him here today. this one again. Sorry, I'm going to start this again. I wasn't paying attention. So. I was thinking about the last good song. Good job, Sorry. Justin. Justin was singing good. Ladies and gentlemen. Good job, Justin. I was, like, who is singing that loud? I mean, I'm not... Sorry, let's start this again. Here we go. 
One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The Word became flesh and the light shined among us. Rising! 
Amen. Lord, we just thank you that we can come here today and celebrate that the, that you conquered the grave once and for, forever and that uh, death could not hold you or keep you from rising again. We give you praise that that's what Easter is about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus, which forever changed everything. And so, God, as we are here today, we just pray, and we wait for that other glorious day where you're going to come get us. You can do it today if you want to be really, really cool. Um, but whatever it is, God, we just want to bask in your presence, celebrate um, this Easter. I just pray right now that anyone in the sound of my voice, whether they're, they're online or whether they're here, that if they don't know you, that something that, that happens in this service today will connect them to the risen Savior and Lord. And for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says. come see anybody? Maybe. All right. I like when the Easter Bunny comes to my house the day after at Walmart on discount. So just saying, you know, for myself. Um, all right. So again, welcome to Easter Sunday. Didn't it wild? Didn't seem like we were just in Christmas. Um, but it's good to have people here um, because last year was not. And I've said that uh, for Good Friday and the service today. Our Good Friday service is online. This one is being streamed and will be online um, for you to see. Uh, if, if you want to show it to people or people are watching, welcome church online and everybody else here. Um, but it is good to get back to having people at Easter. Uh, it just seemed like something was wrong last year, didn't it? Um, and it's been wrong over the last year as well. So a couple of things I want to announce. Um, number one, we're gonna, I'll go ahead and put up our um, bulletin. If you didn't want your uh, a hard copy bulletin, that's fine. You can go ahead and um, you can raise your phones to the Lord, lift up in the sky, take your, uh, your camera, hold it, hold it in there, tap on it, and it'll go ahead and open up on that QR code and you can have the bulletin that way. Isn't the world wonderful? Um, at sometimes, so a couple of things we do have. It is so good to hear. Uh, it's good to hear little kids crying, isn't it? That means there's a nursery. So I'm excited about having little kids cry because um, none of them are mine. That makes me more excited. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so it is good. We're glad that nursery is meeting regularly all the time, and we're excited for that. Um, and Sunday school as well. And we're uh, again the registrations and things continue. We're continuing that. We're looking forward to that glorious day when we can just come to church like we used to. Um, but um, youth group is meeting also, and you can begin to register for next Sunday if you want to go ahead and do that online as well. Uh, youth, uh, we talked about youth group doing so. Um, again, our Stephen ministers are very active, so if you have a crisis, you're going through something, by all means, feel free to go ahead and um, co connect with our Stephen ministers. Um, they, they're there to, to journey through life with you with any challenge that you may have. And then Grief Share. Grief Share has been going on since um, 
since January 18th. It is 13 weeks. If you missed um, a, a week or you're just, a grief just hit you now, that's fine. Just, re, just connect now, pick up, because um, grief doesn't go along as I say this. Grief does not wait till we do a program. Um, it, it comes on anytime, and um, we, we are having that. That meets Zoom and in person um, with the CDC guidelines on, um, on Monday evening. So if you're interested at 630, please connect there. Paris Foundation, volunteers are needed for 70 uh, dinner bags on uh, the 18th of April. And um, they're also asking for two volunteers to stay to assist hand out meals. And um, that you will drop off the meals, the bags, uh, 4 to 4 and 4.15 at the uh, new address at the Family Education Center on 200 Road B in Hollingsworth Manor in Elkton is where they're, they're meeting. And if you have any other um, things, you can connect um, with Kathy and, and everybody to go ahead and make sure those are done. I thank you for continuing that, that ministry. That's great. And then you are part of the last Easter service of the day. So congratulations. We, we're, we're getting there. Um, but um, been some good celebrations. We had a Saturday night um, to just kind of see if we needed to spread out some people or anything. Um, but... Uh, and then we had the, the 8.15 this morning, and so we're glad, and we hope that you'll, you'll feel free to worship. First thing, if you're visiting, welcome. Second thing is, relax, kick back, and enjoy and hear what God has to give to you today, and we're going to have fun in that process. Sound good? Sound like a plan. Awesome. Okay, so that is, um, that, is uh, that much of prayers. I know Joanna had given me some prayers, and here they are right here. Um, so uh, prayers for Kathy Shea for healing, for Lauren Shea for healing from cancer, for um, those who are shut in still and feeling shut in because of COVID and other reasons, be prayers, prayers for them. Uh, Doran asked for prayers for her daughter for healing, and Joanna has eye surgery on Thursday, and I joke with her, I joke with Ron and said he's gonna, she's going to get a good look at him now, um, so the newlyweds as, as well. So be praying for her with um, her surgery that she is facing coming up here, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we um, once again thank you that we are able to gather together. Last, uh, last year, we couldn't do that. Last year, um, we, we were all socially, real socially distanced on, online. And so I thank you that even though it's not the way we want it to be, and even though um, we're not feeling like everything is normal, we may be seeing a light at the end of the tunnel after over a year. So God, um, we, we just want to thank you for those, those steps that you've given to us in this world. We also want to thank you that you are reaching out and touching those who are in need of prayer right now, like Kathy and Lauren and, and Lou as well, and uh, Joanna, she has eye surgery, and Doran's daughter. We ask that you reach out um, and continue to bring your healing presence to their lives, um, even as they are facing, facing surgeries and facing uncertainty. God, just be with them and use that same resurrection power in healing in their lives. Uh, for all the things, we just want to thank you, and we, I, I pray that the rest of the service, whatever words I say, that they'll be from you, that you will um, touch the hearts of anyone who is listening, and that we can have a great celebration, not just with family and friends, if that's what we do later, but ultimately that we may be able to have a celebration to recognize that you, uh, you are the risen Lord and um, King of Kings. And for that, we give you praise. In Christ's name, everybody says... Amen. All right. All right. So we are here at Easter. Easter. Anybody? How many, how many Easter is your favorite holiday? Anybody? Okay. Some people like Easter. Um, how many like Christmas? How many like, uh, I don't know, St. Patrick's Day? 
Those are the ones who like to drink, okay? <laughs> drink green beer. Um, but uh, no, um, I, I mean, holidays, holidays have a mix in them, don't they? Like, in some ways, they're really fun, and other times, and there's, there's all kinds of little nuances to it that make us like, yay! And other times, they're, you know, we, it may be moments that we remember, like an old time, uh, like I remember my, our, our Jill, my grandmother, used to always get us one of those big, hollow chocolate bunnies. That was like her main thing, and some money, which w- that was my favorite thing. But, um, you know, we, that, that excitement... Um, with certain things at different holidays, different things. So today what I want to really kind of do is unpack some things about, um, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to give you some, some information. Then we're going to unpack this section from John chapter 20. Um, and so it's, it's, I've, I've had fun doing this um, the last couple of days and working through this. But I want to address, um, I want to address somebody who may be in the sound of my voice, that you aren't a Christian um, or you aren't really a Jesus follower. And I want to say Jesus follower because Christian is loaded with so many things. There's so much when you say a Christian that isn't always positive. There's a lot of negativity that occurs when you say Christian. And, or you may be somebody who used to be really like, you know, committed on fire. Like that was your life um, follower of Jesus, but you lost interest. Or whatever the situation was, you're somewhere on the spectrum. And I was thinking about if I sat down and talked with someone and was just sitting there with them and someone decided to tell me what the situation was that changed them from really being committed or that they've never connected as a follower of Jesus, I kind of think that if they shared with us, we would probably go, oh, okay, I get that. Um, for instance, like somebody would say to me, you know, well, Jack, if you've heard in my life what I've heard, I might go, okay, I get it. Or if you've experienced what I've experienced in my life, right? What about this one? Jack, if you've been treated by Christians the way I've been treated by Christians, or you didn't grow up in the family I grew up with, if you grew up in my family, you might not be so anxious to go follow Christ. Or what about this one? If you grew up in the church I grew up in, you ain't too excited about Christianity. Or maybe it, it could be, it, that you, there's people that I find out when I'm teaching or talking about religion as a sociological thing or, or uh, philosophy of religion in philosophy, where some people will just say, you know, fa- faith and, and religion was really important to my grandparents. My parents, not too much, so we weren't raised in that, but when I went and visited grandma, then they would take us to church on Sunday. Maybe it was something like that. So it, I just wasn't exposed to it. But whatever the reason, I think if we heard you talk about it, you would say, Oh, yeah, okay, I totally get that. I, under, I understand where you're coming from. So if you say to me, Jack, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a F- Jesus follower, but here's what I'm going to do. I want you to take your best shot at convincing me to follow Jesus. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. And I'm going to sit there. Basically, you invited me into this conversation. Could have been over coffee or, or I don't know, pizza. I'd rather have pizza than coffee. Um, but... Anyway, you're sitting there and you say to me, Jack, I'm going to give you one shot to try to convince me to follow Jesus. So I'm going to say, okay. So let me start by telling you today what I would not do. And just to let you know, this is where many people start with. So I'll just tell you. Um, The first thing I would not do is I would not try to defend the history of the church. 
the overall history of church. I would not do it because if you know anything about church history, the church has done some really goofy, embarrassing, and horrific things all in the name of God over the years, like the Inquisition, or we could go ahead and say the Crusades, or I could say lots of other things. Maybe their activity that was overt, many of churches in the, the civil rights movement against the civil rights movement in the name of race. The church has not had a pristine image. So I am going to tell you, I am not going to say, consider Jesus because of the church universal and what it's done over history. I would be a fool to do so. I am also uh, not going to try to defend the things a lot of Christians have said or the ways of a lot of Christians have treated you. I'm not going to because I know some of those people. Um, I wouldn't try to defend the, the weighty values that they put on us. I always, I have a nickname. I call them Christian Pharisees that, oh, G Jesus loves you. We sing just as I am, but you better be like this if you expect to be part of us. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Or um, maybe uh, the certain ways that Christians treat people. I knew a young girl uh, well, not a young girl by the time I knew her, but when she was a young girl in youth group, she was in her 50s or 60s by the time I met her. She didn't come back to church until I had kind of formed a relationship with the family. And she said, she told us one day she stopped going to church because one day she was walking along and she heard youth leaders talking negatively about her. And from that point as a teenager to the point that she was in her 50s or 60s, she stopped going the way she was treated. I mean, some, I got to tell you, I've met some of the most nasty, arrogant, um, whatever word you want to throw out there, conceited people in my life that call themselves Christians. Anybody else in that boat with me? I met, I've also met some of the best people, but I've also met some of the worst people in my life that have said they are Christians and don't do anything to further love God. So I'm not going to be a fool to do church history or to defend the way some Christians act. And I'm going to tell you, I would not try to convince you with the Bible. You say, well, wait a second, Jack. Well, I wouldn't do that. I'm going to tell you why I wouldn't do that. I would not go ahead and say, well, you know, the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and did you know the Bible says, but the Bible says, and the Bible says this. I'm not going to do that. And the reason why, and this is very important, and we're going to unpack this today, is because there were thousands upon thousands of Christians long before there ever was a Bible. And so here's what I would do. I would start with the event, the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not going to start with the Bible, because as I said, there were thousands of people that believed that Jesus rose from the dead and believed in Jesus long before a Bible was ever put together. You know, the fact is that people started believing that Jesus rose from the dead the day he rose from the dead. Do you realize that? And... Um, they did exactly what you and I would have done. Like, think about it. How many of you have ever been to a funeral of someone you love and care about? Okay, so let's imagine that someone you knew or loved died and was buried. And then a couple days later, you see them. They talk to you. You have breakfast with them. They pop in a room and you're like, whoa, what, where'd you come from? You see, and, and you have this whole kind of thing with them for a while. What are you going to do? exactly what they did you're going to put it on social media think about it that's what they did we would be like we'd be taking selfies with the risen lord that's what we would be doing if that's what happened but what did they do they went ahead and they told people and they wrote it down that was their version of social media back then um, and so they took it to social media so we believe that jesus 
rose from the dead because of, ready, social media. We believe that he rose from the dead because of the social media of a man named Matthew. Matthew was a Jesus follower and a disciple. And after the resurrection, he sat down and wrote an entire account of Jesus as an eyewitness. He did it from a Jewish perspective, looking back into the Jewish scriptures and saying, wow, Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He, and he, he, he worked it through, but he was there and he saw that. He's also known as Levi when he was sitting there as a tax collector and they said, come on, follow me. So he wrote it down and reported it. There's another guy. His name is Mark. And Mark is kind of rudimentary in his writing. He's not the most skilled writer. And when you read the, the Gospel of Mark, you feel like you're running through life. You feel like Jesus is just like sprinting everywhere and immediately just went here, and immediately Jesus was there, and then he was thrown out near and he writes like a little kid, like a little kid comes and tells you. And then he went here, and then did this, and then, right, you, you had little kids, that's Mark. And Mark is a Greek, and he was kind of on the fringe, and he knew the disciples. And he talked to them, and some of the stuff he saw from the outside, he went ahead, sat down, and wrote an entire chronological account of the life of Jesus based off of the, those closest to him in the eyewitness accounts. And then for me, as an undergraduate journalism major, I love Luke, the doctor. Because Luke takes his approach. He was not in the inner group, but Luke writes this. He says, I have decided... And I have endeavored to write an orderly account of all things that have happened here in our midst. Luke is responsible for writing Luke and the book of Acts. And every time he is writing and says, dear Theophilus, he sounds like a doctor right? giving, giving orders to things. You know, here, do this, 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 this. And I want to make sure every detail is listed. Everything is connected. And then there's John, who was one of the disciples, who's an eyewitness of everything. From the very early point, part when he was called, to staring into an empty tomb. And that John is known as the only one who really did not die a martyr's death. And what does John do? John decides he's older. He's getting older in, in years. I better write this down. Because by that time, people had seen what some of the other ones said. And he said, I'm going to write down the things that, that I saw that really stood out that, that aren't quite fully here that people need to know about. And so John writes that. And wrote an account of Jesus' life. How could we forget this guy? Rocky. Hey, yo. Simon Peter. Rocky. That's what Jesus gave him the nickname. And upon you, I'm going to build the church. Peter constantly had in, uh, open mouth insert foot disease in the Gospels. And, but he wrote letters to the church. And, from, and all these people, including Peter, from his writing, obviously all believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And then probably one of the strangest and perhaps probably the most compelling argument is a guy named James, the brother of Jesus. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you have siblings? Here, go ahead, raise your hand real big. Raise your hand. If you're at home, raise your hand too. How many have siblings um, or have had siblings in your life? Um, how difficult would it be to convince your siblings that you are the son or daughter of God? Right, you know, like, I mean, for Jill, it's a lot easier. Um, but, uh, but come on, if you went and you said to your brother or sister, hey, um, 
I'm, I'm the savior of the world. I'm the son of God. You're going to be like, yeah, right. Like, I, I remember this story today as I was talking. And um, it was like when, my, when we were younger, my dad spoke all over the place. He was being asked to speak, and Joe and I got carried along. And we had some friends of us there. And dad, um, dad was an excellent speaker, and we had these great, like, revival kind of areas. And um, we were there one night, and this lady was there, and she's walking out thanking him for such a great message and she looks over and my mom and um, friends of ours are there and she looks over at my mom and goes living with him must be just like living with Jesus to which my mom went oh good lord right you see that woman didn't live with dad to know that Jesus didn't tell me to shut up all the time you know what I mean Um, so what I'm saying is we to convince our siblings or anybody in our family would be extremely difficult. That would be the toughest sell, wouldn't it? And so as we look here, one of the things we know is James was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was alive before the crucifixion. It was only after the resurrection that James became a follower and he became a leader in one of the early church, in the early church in the first century. I guess by having, by having Jesus as your half-brother kind of gets you some clout and you move up the, uh, the, the ladder very quickly. But he wrote a letter and in it, it is completely obvious to James, the brother of Jesus, that he came to the conclusion that his brother was the Lord and Savior and that his brother rose from the dead. And we know from the Gospels that he and his mom showed up and somebody said, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. And he said, everybody is my mother and brothers. In other words, he's saying, that doesn't play well at a family reunion when you're trying to say, hey, James, can you get me something? Oh, why don't you get one of your other brothers or mother? Right? But after the resurrection, James says, oh no, he's not just my brother, he's the Lord. And so that is a big, big deal that we've got to look at. And we can't talk about this without talking about the person known as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, scholars have said, has more to do with the development and the spread of Christianity than any other person in the ancient world. Everybody, nobody questions that there was someone named Saul of Tarsus who became known as Paul. And he traveled around the Mediterranean, planting churches, all the different places he went. And Paul absolutely believed that Jesus Christ physically and literally rose from the dead. You see, we don't believe it because the Bible said it. We believe it because these men lived in the first century who either knew Jesus or knew eyewitnesses, and they wrote about it. But there's somebody else that none of us would think that would be very important as we're looking at this. And it's another guy named Nero. Anybody heard of Nero? Like, for instance, if I said to you, name some, some, uh, some Roman emperors, if I said name three of them, you would probably have some difficulty unless you're really into that kind of stuff. But Nero would probably come up to the, to the forefront, right? We know about Nero. He was kind of, he was kind of uh, nasty. We know that he was kind of a tyrant in some different things. And, um, and there's some things that almost everybody has heard about Nero. Does anybody know the one thing that he really is known for doing? He did something to Rome. What was it? Burned it. He burned Rome. Right? You, this, you guys are like, oh my gosh, history. I didn't know I was going to have a test today. Um, but um, he burned Rome. And you know what the second thing he did? 
He blamed the Christians for it, which created intense persecution to the Christians. And this is history, not the Bible. Intense persecution to the Christians. And it fanned that flame to where you would have, where they would... Um, you know, they would have the, uh, the Christians that were fed to the lions. They would, Nero would put them on his torches and light them up alive to light his garden at night. This is what we know about Nero. And so I have a question for you. You're like, oh, it's not going to be another history thing. So but let me ask you, do you know why Nero could persecute Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection? Now, before you answer that, I want you to go ahead and, and, and hear something that I, that I found. I did some research for you. Aren't you happy? Um, you can, like, throw this around at the dinner table with people who aren't watching church, and you can sound really, really intelligent, like I'm doing right now. Um, but they have done studies, painstaking studies, to find out how long it takes for a myth, a legend, or a fable to develop to the point where people believe something never happened. And study after study says that it takes about a minimum of 40 years and about 60 to 80 years for something to become a legend for people to believe in. So to believe in something, you need 60 to 80 years. To, um, to uh, study after study does show a minimum for myths and things. And actually, this proved true. Back in 1940s, early 1940s, we had something called World War II. And nobody questions that World War II happened. In the midst of World War II, we have what was recognized as one of the great atrocities in human history, the Holocaust. Um, back then, there was a scholar who said, talked about the importance of passing things down because he said, eventually, there will become a time where people will start to believe that the Holocaust never happened. And just to let you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, and even now, there is a huge movement of people who believe that the Holocaust never happened. And it happens time and time again. So why do you think it takes... 60 to 80 years for this to happen. Because everybody who was there is probably dead. Think about it. We don't, we're, we're at a point where we don't have many Holocaust victims anymore. Correct? So it's easier to say it didn't happen. It's easier to say things that didn't happen um, from eyewitness accounts if they are gone and because you can say whatever you want. So history tells us this, that when Nero burned Rome, there were thousands of Christians in Rome, mostly Roman citizens, who believed 30 years after the resurrection that Jesus rose from the dead. So that doesn't fit the math, does it? It doesn't fit the ability to allow 40 or 60 to 80 years for people not to believe it or to believe it. And so the answer to the question is, to why Nero um could persecute Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection is because there were thousands of Christians who believed Jesus rose from the dead long before there was a Bible. People cannot just say, which I've heard, well, that whole Jesus thing, it's all fabricated. It was all made up. People copied and miscopied things in a Bible. And as time went on, the legend got bigger and bigger and bigger. And they decided that Jesus rose from the dead. But he didn't rise from the dead. And I don't believe in a resurrection. I don't believe it was possible. You see, we believe because the people who wrote about it. And that within 30 years, there were thousands of Christians, not in Jerusalem, not in Judea, but 1,500 miles away in Rome. And if there were thousands of Christians 30 years later... There was thousands of Christians 20 years after the resurrection. 
and there were hundreds of Christians 10 years after the resurrection. That's why I love when the Apostle Paul says how Jesus appeared to him and he said he appeared to uh, Simon and he appeared to others and he said and he appeared to 500 others. Go ask them, although many of them have gone to sleep because years have gone by and many of them passed away. Jesus appeared to over 500 people at the time within that. So it is impossible, absolutely impossible for enough time for a myth to have grown to believe in a resurrection, especially so far away from Jerusalem. So what about this Bible thing? As time went on, we know that the people began to write down certain things, accounts of Jesus' life. And it's not like it is today that I can grab a copy or make a copy and say, here you go. It was, papyrus and things that they wrote on were so precious. And so you had this copy from Luke or Mark, and somebody would have it. And it's kind of like the equivalent to in places where Christianity is, is pushed out, like in China or in India, where, where what people do, that when they first get a Bible, they tear it apart. We would go, but they tear it apart and they give it to different people, pages and sections. And people treasure it and they look at it and they read it and they read it and they memorize it. When they're done, they hand it to someone else and it becomes a treasure to them. That's how it was for people in this early part. And they would get a fragment and they would hold it and read it and love it. And they said, well, you know what? Let's get some people to copy it. And so people began to meticulously copy it over and over and over again. And so you would get the the letters of Paul and they write down and and the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew and they, they meticulously write these down. And after they got several of these together, they decided to call it the New Testament. And 200 years plus after the resurrection of Jesus was when the New Testament started to get compiled. And then someone came up with a bright idea, some churchy person. They did it kind of offensively because they took the Jewish scripture and said, well, let's call that the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. So your stuff's old, ours is new. Uh, So a a little bit offensive, but what they did is they took the Jewish scriptures, they put it with this new collection of the New Testament, and they put them together and slapped some animal skin around it and said, let's call it Biblos, which means Bible, a collection of books. Several hundred years after the resurrection itself. So what I'm saying is Christians are not gathered all over the world today simply to celebrate the fact of the resurrection. But we gather together because of the implications of what the resurrection in that event does. And if we fully understand the resurrection and we take seriously the death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf, then it should impact every single element and facet of our lives. It should impact the way we spend our time who we spend our time with, how we entertain ourselves, how we spend our money, how we mourn, how we love, every facet of our lives. And so what I want to do in the remainder of the time I have with you today is I want to go to the first Easter morning. And there is a powerful exchange between Jesus and one of his followers that is, it's, it's super precious, It's incredibly powerful. It's emotional and even at times it's tearful if you really put yourself there. And it captures the energy and the implications of what it means to be somebody who lives their life with the fact 
and the implication that Jesus is risen from the dead. Sound like a plan? All right, because that's what I got. And so here we go. So I'm going to put this in context for you. So ancient Jews believed in a Messiah who was a deliverer. And this was there. But year after year, this happened about this time, there was no Messiah. Now, the Jewish people were also caught up about something that happened 2,000 years before Jesus about a guy named Abraham. Anybody, anybody ring a bell to anybody? Some of you from Sunday school, Father Abraham. Right, remember that thing that you did? Anybody remember that? Or is that the only one that did that? You're looking at me like I got four heads up here, all right? Um, so uh, Abraham. Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham that they would be his chosen, he would be with him, and he would have a father of many nations, etc., etc. Et and that passed, that is what was called the Abrahamic covenant, which passed according to Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, down through the lineage that went through there. And so the Jewish people looked at themselves as being the chosen people of God because of the Abrahamic covenant. And they had some really great moments. Like there was this guy named David who took out a giant but then became king and was the man, and he was good, um, and he did some other kinds of things. He had some messed up things in his life, but he got back on track. He had a kid named Solomon, everything started to kind of go downhill after that. But, but David was the prime part of Israel's kingdom. They were rocking and rolling. And yet through that time, history goes on, and then there was somebody named Alexander the Great from Greece. Alexander came in and conquered the known world. And so... Israel, Palestine was under the oppression of the Greeks. But then when Alexander died, you had the Ptolemies and the Seleucids who split up his kingdom, and they were interfighting, going back and forth. So this Greek culture got into the world, but then there came somebody named Caesar. And Caesar said, I'm going to take care of all this business. And he came in and he took over. That brings us to first century, where we have Roman rule, the Pax Romana which means the Roman peace. It was a forced peace. If you did not like Rome, they would kick your rear end and take over and you would have peace one way or the other by you being destroyed. This is what Rome did. And so the Jews were under this, uh, this situation at this time. And under this Roman rule, there comes this guy named John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. That's not his denomination, regardless of what anybody tells you. He was not a Southern Baptist, just to let you know. But that was his occupation, not denomination. He was the baptizer. Now, John was a little kind of quirky kind of guy. He would dress up in camel's hair, which was a prophet kind of garb. He would hang out in the desert, and he'd eat locusts and wild honey. It's a little kind of odd guy. But what would happen with John is John had this incredible power to preach. And when he did, crowds would join all around him. And he made some of the religious leaders of the day nervous because the religion had gotten very institutional and was about power and about control. And so what we learn from the New Testament is everybody in Jerusalem and Judea would get out and they'd head out and they'd, people would be going, where are you going? Oh, I'm leaving the city. I've got to hear this John guy. I mean, he's good. He's wacky. I mean, he, you should see him eat locusts. It's not, it's not a good thing. And he has some wild honey, which that's not bad too. But he wears camel hair and it's kind of odd. And so people started asking him, could he be the Messiah? And people say, well, he doesn't seem very Messiah-esque here. I mean, he's kind of smells funny, he eats funny, he looks funny. I mean, eh, I don't know if he's the Messiah. But John would preach boldly, and people just could not wait to go ahead and hear him. And then one day, John is doing his 
baptizer, preaching, street preacher kind of thing out there. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus. And in the midst of his sermon, he stops. He goes, wait, wait, wait. Everybody, look, look, look. Behold, take a look over there. There is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. And then from that point on, Jesus begins to preach and teach. And people who followed John began to follow Jesus. And actually, be, it, people, John's followers came to John and said, hey, um, a lot of people are leaving you now to go follow Jesus. And he said, no, no, that's okay. He must become greater and I must become lesser. It's okay. He's the one we're looking for. So as Jesus began to preach, crowds got even bigger. Miracles got even more major. People were all over the place. There were hordes of people that the disciples were kind of like <coughs> bodyguards, just moving people away from Jesus to keep them so they could get through the streets. And it made the Romans very nervous, and it made the religious leaders jealous. When the religious leaders would come to Jesus, we have story upon story after they would say something, and sometimes he would use like a, a little twist and catch them in their own web. Other, other times he'd call them a brood of vipers and call them sons of Satan. Um, other days he'd just kind of ignore them and mess with them. Jesus always had a way of messing with them. But the last straw was something we talked about several weeks ago. He was friends with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And their brother Lazarus had died and Jesus showed up. And Lazarus, most scholars believe, was, was probably a wealthy man and probably was a benefactor of Jesus. Probably helped support his ministry. And he was very close to Jesus. He died and Jesus shows up and said, Lazarus, come out, rose him from the dead. And we have the accounts of the religious leaders saying, we got to get rid of this sucker. Or else the whole world will believe in him. We need to kill him. And so that's exactly what they did. They went ahead and they, Jesus was condemned by the religious leaders in a sham trial. He was ultimately beaten and crucified by the Roman government and the Roman Empire. He was buried by two men who would never publicly associate with him while he was alive. Because these two men, thanks to John, we know, is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. That's where we get John 3.16 from. Thank God he came at night, correct? Um, but... Nicodemus came there because they were wealthy. They were businessmen. They couldn't be seen with Jesus during the day. Otherwise, that would ruin their business. But they would come to him at night. Secret followers. Um, and we know that, that Nicodemus probably was involved with the, the Jewish ruling council um, as well as what many people say. So here they are. These, these two men, after Jesus was crucified, they went to Pilate, who was the governor at the time, and they went to him to ask for the body of Jesus. Now, you find this kind of interesting, this story, but let me tell you something. When you were crucified, it was not only about punishment, it was about complete humiliation. And if you were a victim of crucifixion, you were not given a proper burial. Victims of crucifixion were taken down off of the cross, thrown in a wagon, carted away, dumped in a pile to either be burned or to rot. And that's what should have happened to Jesus. Except for, in some cases, there were people who would go to the governor. And when they went to the governor, they would say, um, we really like, we really like to have that body. And they would go ahead and give the handshake that had lots of money in it. They bribed them. And so what we know by these two wealthy men saying, going to Pilate, 
as the scripture says, and um, asking for the body, they bribed Pilate to get Jesus' body because he should have been dumped on a, on a heap pile and rotted or been burned. So they got permission, and what we know is that it was getting to be Sabbath, and Sabbath for the Jewish people begins at sundown. Days go by sundown to sunup. So the sun was setting, and they said, oh my gosh, we got to hurry up. So they quickly prepared Jesus and chuck him in the tomb. Now, I'm going to give you the illustration I've given in the other couple services because it just popped in my head, so here we go. Anybody ever put something in a refrigerator that you don't get saran wrap on pretty good? This is Jesus. You never thought about Jesus being like your leftover meatloaf that you just threw in the fridge without the saran wrap. But that's what happened. They hurried up and did it because you could not do it be, uh, be until when the sun came down. Then Sabbath started, and you were unclean, and you had all kinds of problems. So they just quickly saran wrap Jesus, throw him in the, um, in the tomb, and take off. Because you have to do Sabbath, and you have nothing going on. So nobody did anything that day. On the day Jesus was crucified, Everybody, everybody say with me, everybody. Everybody unfollowed Jesus. I want to put you here. Let's, let's pull churchiness away. But on the day that Jesus on the cross died and was thrown in a tomb real quickly, not one person believed he was still the Messiah and everything else. Not one person. There were no followers after the crucifixion, and you know Why? It wasn't because of what he taught, because he taught some really good things. It wasn't because of the memorable things he said and did and the miracles that he did, because he told a lot of memorable stories and did a lot of miraculous things. The problem is that Jesus claimed way too much about himself and is now dead. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Way the truth and you're dead. Right? Uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, you are the resurrection and the life, but you're dead. He claimed to be the son of man and the son of God. He was God's chosen person, the Messiah. But Messiahs aren't crucified. The son of man can't be killed. And the son of God is going to allow himself to be tortured and buried like that? When Jesus was crucified and died, even though everybody had extraordinary high hopes, remember last week we talked about Palm Sunday. People were like, yeah, whoa, 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 yeah. But now it's gone. They had high hopes, and though he had healed the sick and done miraculous things, everybody's faith vanished. There were no Christians after the crucifixion. There were no followers after the crucifixion. It was game over. There was nothing to hold on to, no movement to keep alive, no message worth repeating. Jesus said way too much about himself, and then he allowed himself to be taken into custody, beaten, and killed, and thrown in the tomb. There was no one, absolutely no one, on that Sunday morning, standing outside the tomb, ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, not one person was waiting for the countdown. Nobody did that. Nobody at all did that at all and did this countdown. Because as I want to remind you something, in the gospel narratives, and also the letters by Peter, James, and Paul, not one person writes themselves as a hero. Now I've got to tell you, if, Jack, if we're reading the gospel of Jack, 
I am going to go ahead and make everybody else look horrible. And I'm going to say, but Jack was standing outside the tomb. Ten. Nine. I'm going to say that Jack was the one. Oh, he is Lord. And, there, and I take what I get. I'm going to make myself look good. Is anybody else going to do that? I know I am. I know you may not, but I'm going to be writing. Jack was awesome. And everybody else left Jesus, but then there was Jack. And people would be giving sermons. Be like a Jack, not like a Simon Peter, right? That's what the sermons would have been for out of history if I wrote the Gospels. But not one single narrative written by them, not one single person that has anything to do with the story of Jesus says and makes themselves a hero. They all admit none of us believed he was coming back. And none of us believed we would ever see him again. And not one of us expected a resurrection. And that's where our story is going to kick in at this remainder time. Don't get nervous. We're going to zip through this. And we're going to read it from John's Gospel. If you have your Bibles, you can have it. Every single verse is going to be up here. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 2 and 10 through 18. And John is writing this as an eyewitness, but also he is getting a lot of this from a follower of Jesus who had lost faith like everybody else after the crucifixion. And we're going to see something that happens really amazing here. All right, so here we go. Let's see this one. Early on the first day of the week, all, um, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Okay, so Sabbath again ends when the sun is coming up. So think about this. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was one who Jesus healed. One of the scholars, Gregory something or other way back when, associated her wrongly as a prostitute. Most scholars and anybody who is a decent biblical scholar now says that was wrong interpreted. She is somebody who Jesus healed. And once he healed her, her life was changed. She began and became a follower of Jesus. She trusted everything that he claimed to be, that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. And she was so grateful to what Jesus had done for her. Now you can imagine, after he died, has anybody ever had somebody that you love die? Very suddenly, or, or maybe not suddenly, they just died. And that, that first night or so, you're just kind of wandering around. You can't sleep well. You're rolling back and forth. I think this is where Mary was. And imagine if it happened so tragically and so quickly. Mary's probably not sleeping that well. And so she, she went ahead and she's like, okay. Um, it says that she decided to go to the tomb to see if she could get someone or someone to help move that giant tomb uh, stone that she could re-embalm or prepare his body for burial. There's one theory that people say she did it because she knew these two dudes just kind of chucked him in the tomb and did it really quickly. And she knows, don't leave it up to them. I'm going to do it right. Okay? But meanwhile, we know that they had to do it in a hurry so it wasn't done properly. And because of all Jesus did for her and her love for him and her grieving. Like, you know, you know I, I can tell you, like, with the death of our parents, I wanted everything to be perfect. You know what I mean? You want it all to be perfect. You want them to wear the perfect things. You want them to have the perfect service. You want everything to be perfect in this last point. Don't you? Do you get that? You know, like if somebody dies, you don't just say, well, what funeral home? And then just chuck them out back. You know, you don't say that. You want it to be perfect. And so for Mary, she is grieving and grieving. And she says, I got I to gotta do it right. And so she gets there. And John, uh, she expects to find the body, uh, and she tells John, John tells us this, that she saw 
that the stone had been removed from the entrance. What is her immediate reaction? It's like, woohoo! Yeah, he's alive! Hallelujah! Nope. That's not her reaction. Her assumption is that someone came to the tomb and took and stole his body. Do you know why? Because she wasn't expecting a resurrection. Nobody did. She came, then the next scripture says, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Let me stop here. Scripture has humor in it. We don't see it. John is writing this. John is telling you the disciple who Jesus loved is, guess who it is? John. John doesn't write Simon Peter and me. Simon Peter and John. He says, she came to Simon Peter and the one who Jesus really liked. I mean, come on. You guys, he, he liked you, but he loved me. I was his favorite. I'm Jesus' favorite. Na, 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 na. And that's what he writes in there. In the midst of this great story, he just says, oh, by the way, Jesus loved me best. I find that fascinating. Um, and hold on to that, to that humor and, uh, and things in the midst here. But he says that. And, and let's recap this. So Mary sees an empty tomb. She runs all the way back to the city, to the house where Peter and John are. It's, just, it's in the morning. The sun's not fully up or anything. So she goes, and she probably bursts through the door. They're asleep. They're hiding away because they're figuring if, if they got him, guess who's next? Me. So they're kind of hiding away. And here's what she says. She says, they have done what? Taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. She didn't say, oh, I, I, you think he rose from the dead? What, what, did, did he rise? No. Her assumption that we can see from here is somebody has taken him, and she didn't know where they put him. Jesus had a lot of enemies. And he was hated so much that they had this sham trial. They paid witnesses to lie about him. And they did the trial that even Jewish scholars say is a complete travesty because it was done at night and no trials were ever done that way. And they did all this stuff to get rid of him because he had so many enemies. And so let me take you back to, remember the two people, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were wealthy and went to Pilate and said, hey, can I have the body? And they, they pay him that, this. Do you, do you remember what I said, crucified bodies? Happened to them? What happened to them? On a pile to rot or be burned. And so if they knew, if they knew that somebody had Jesus' body and put it in a tomb with a proper burial, they would want to do anything they could to stop it. Let me take you back to when Osama bin Laden was killed. Remember that? After he was killed, what did the, the U.S. military do with his body? Buried him in the ocean in accordance with uh, Islamic law, and they, and they gave him the proper burial at sea. You know why? Because they wanted nobody coming to his site of his death where his body was, making it a shrine, where it, shrines tend to create movements, even more so. And this is exactly what was going on here. The enemies of Jesus hated him so much, they said, no, 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 no. And that's what Mary thought. Oh, my gosh. If somebody did that, what in the world? So her mind, she's at the empty tomb. She's assuming the worst. Peter and John get up, and they run to the city. John tells us that Peter takes off first. And here goes John again. But he says, I got to the tomb first. <laughs> so John, for some reason, John wants to know that Jesus loves him best, and he's faster than Simon Peter. 
I don't know why. He's like, hey, and guess what? Peter and his fat behind was taking forever to get there, and I got to the tomb first. <laughs> Look at me. But John also says, but I wasn't going in. And Peter just all sweating and you know, everything. He's in there. He looks in and doesn't see anything. They don't want to see anything, and they go to the same kind of mindset. What the heck happened? Where is he? Where is he? So what we know is that Peter and John then go back to the city, locked it back away in their, in their room. Don't know what to do or think. Neither does Mary. She goes, finds herself back at the tomb, looking at this empty tomb, and just sitting here, and it says, John tells us this, that now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, literally weeping, just, just a guttural crying as she bent over to look in the tomb. Now, I was kind of thinking this myself, what that would be like. I mean, with, with having grief of loved ones that you lose, I mean, it is, it is a guttural pain. But I cannot imagine if Jill and I went ahead and today decided, hey, let's go down and put flowers on mom and dad's grave. And when we get down there, there's a hole dug and, and we see the caskets open and they aren't there. It would, and you can do that for yourselves with anybody that you think. And you can imagine the anguish, the loss, the confusion, the anger. You get all those things, wouldn't you? Mary's no different. We put these people in stained glass, but they're real people like you and me. And she wept and wept and wept. The greatest man she ever lived that ever lived, who touched so many people's lives. No one would touch again. Changed her life, and he was crucified. Spent time with people. No one would spend time with, and he's dead. He wasn't just exiled. He was tortured and killed. She has all kinds of questions. Where do I turn? What do I do? Where do I go? God, you didn't come through. It didn't work out. Who can I trust? And all that is coming to the forefront. And then it tells us this, and she bent over. Maybe, maybe she's like, maybe I missed him in the corner. Maybe they just pushed him out of the way. And she looks in and she sees two angels, but she doesn't know they're angels seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, she doesn't know they're angels at this time, and they say to her this, Woman, why are you crying? My question, if I were her, would have been, why the heck are you hanging out in the tomb? But... They say, woman, why are you crying? Now, here you go. Pete, there's been lots of discussion over the years about whether angels are male or female. I'm going to tell you that they are male because what, what no, no female would ask these dumb questions like these two men did here. Woman, why are you crying? Am I right? So I think that's funny. That's humor, resurrection humor. Take it. Go with it. Um, all right, but there's no sex on angels, so don't, don't go with it. But anyway, they ask a dumb question like guys would, correct? All right, so there we go. Um, the guys are like, help me out here, Jack. Um, She's heartbroken, gut-wrenching, and here's her response. They have taken my Lord away. I still love, as it was pointed out by Danny today, that she still calls him her Lord. And she says, and I don't know where they put him. The same thing she went and said to uh, Peter and John, she says to these two strangers, they've taken him away, and I don't know where he is. Again, she believes the worst. She believes that grave robbers came. But in this case, grave robbers usually steal stuff. 
What are they doing? These are more than just grave robbers. If they took the body, then they want to do something evil or desecrate it. And then she hears, I love the scripture says, and then she hears something behind her. And it says this verse here. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know why she didn't recognize it was Jesus. I don't know whether it's because it was still dark. I don't know whether it's because it's like shadowy or in a shaded area there. I don't know whether he was standing at a distance. Um, I don't know whether he looked different. I don't know whether her eyes were too puffy from crying all the time. I don't know. But Mary sees Jesus and doesn't recognize him. And so she hears this thing. She looks and she goes right back down and stares into the tomb. And I am a visual learner. I shared that last week, and I shared a lot. And so I get these mental pictures. And I kind of get this picture that Jesus is kind of walking through. Mary hears this noise, turns and looks, and turns back, and Jesus kind of props up against the wall, crosses his legs, and just gets a big grin on his face because he knows what's about ready to happen. He's seeing her crying, staring into an empty tomb. He gets this grin on his face. And then again, look at what happens. Jesus gives the man question. Woman, why are you crying? And who are you looking for? And this is a funny moment here. It says, thinking he was the gardener. Now, we read the Bible too seriously. We're like, and then she said, oh, I thought it was the gardener. And he went, oh, let me garden some things. And, you know, that's how we kind of look at the Bible. <laughs> Don't we? I mean, be honest. We're like, us stained glass. Oh, they talk like these and that. No, that's not what happened. Mary told this story for the rest of her life. And she didn't say, and then I thought it was the gardener. I mean, that's not how people talk unless something is really wrong with you. Mary's telling the story, and can you imagine, she's in a place, and somebody says, hey, Mary Magdalene's here, and they went, Mary, you're, you're Mary, Mary, come here, come here, come here, Mary, tell us the story, and she goes, okay, well, I went to the tomb, and I was weeping, I'm this, this, I ran back, and, and then I came, I came, I told Peter and John, and they took off for the tomb, and John's like, and I was there first, um, and, and then Mary goes, and then they left, and I was there, and I was weeping, and I look in, and there's these two guys that asked me a guy question, what are you crying for, why the heck do you think I'm crying, you know, she's going to, she goes, and then I hear this behind me, and it says, hey, um, hey, woman, why are you crying, and who are you looking for, and I'm like, stinking gardener, who's the gardener, I thought he was the gardener, and everybody laughs, and she says, so, and then she goes to this. She says, do you, before I get to this, do you know why she thought he was a gardener? Because she didn't expect the resurrection. Nobody did. Because after the crucifixion, how many followers of Christ were there? Zero. And she says this. She's getting tired of saying the same thing, isn't she? Sir, if you had carried him away, if you know where he is, would you please just tell me and I will go get him? She said this tons of times. She doesn't know. And I love this part here. Here's Jesus now acting like the best gardener. Maybe has a rake. 
And she's sitting there crying, and she's like, if you know where he is, and she's like, I, I kind of know where he is. After she gets done weeping, her head's back down. She's downcast, and Jesus goes, big grin now. He says, Mary. And she goes, Mary. And look what the scripture says. She turned toward him, because that tells us she's telling this gardener that she thinks, if you know where he is, just, just tell me. Everything is broken. And she hears her name. Mary. Mary. And it says she turned toward him and Rabboni! Woo! Before that moment, nobody was following Jesus anymore. Nobody believed he was resurrected. At that moment, she heard his voice. And I can tell you, um, one of the things that when you've lost Someone, when someone dies, one of the most powerful things you can have is something that has their voice. That you just hear it. Am I right? And like, Joe and I have gone through our phones, and, and Melissa went through them uh, for us and everybody, just to get some of those ridiculous phone messages that our parents left. Like, Jack, you, you called me, but I was in the bathroom. Call me back if you need something. You know? Or, Jack, I need help. I need sizes for all the kids. That was my mom. All the time. Um... Or you would get where they just kind of like rambled on for like five minutes about stuff. Or, or when they would call and say, sing happy anniversary the, the Flintstones way. To have those voices is so precious. Because you know that when they die, you don't hear it again. Am I correct on that? Mary thought she would never hear that voice again. At that moment she heard Mary. She ran to him. And how I know she ran to him? Because look what happened. Jesus then says to this, whoa, don't hold on to me. I don't know why he says that, but maybe Mary jumped on him. And he's like, hey, I just went through a crucifixion. I've been in a tomb for a couple days. Leave me alone. I don't know what that was. But he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. So go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He gives her instructions. In other words, he tells her, Mary, I know you took off once and you went from the tomb when you saw it was empty and you thought the worst and you went and you ran to the city, but you need to go back this time and this time you've got a different message. This time it's not one of despair. This time it's not one of loss and you don't know where I am. And she goes back and Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. She kicks back in the door. Can you imagine Peter and John go, what the heck, you're scaring us to death. She goes, whoa, guess what? I have seen the Lord. And like, Mary, you've been hanging around tombs too long. No, 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 no. And let me tell you what he told me. The question is, why is this such a big deal? Because in the ancient world, women had no credibility at all. A woman could not testify in court at all. You could have 75 women say one thing. One male said something different. They laughed at the women and the male was followed up with. That's just how it was in the world. And you know what? If you were making up this story, you would not have women be the witnesses of it. You wouldn't. You'd be dumb to. Do you know every gospel puts the women as the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus? Do you know why? Because it happened that way. That's exactly how it happened. This means that Jesus is who he said he is, and we can trust him. That death has been arrested, and our new lives can begin. 
And although nothing in the world had changed for Mary and nothing in her circumstances changed, everything had changed because he was alive. Every single thing. And it changed for her. And guess what? It changes for us as well. And it should be the context for every decision, every relationship, everything we do with our time, the way we dream, the way we plan, the way we treat people. Because of the resurrection, you and I can pray knowing that God hears and answers our prayers. Because of the resurrection, you can live knowing that there is life beyond this place here. Because of the resurrection, you can sacrifice knowing that your faithfulness matters to God and others. You see, it was Jesus who taught us to address our father as daddy. And taught us that he hears our prayers and even knows what we need even before we ask. It was him who said, hey, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, oh, I'm going to wait for you to come there and wait till you see it. It's awesome. And he also was the one who said over and over that what we do in this life will be rewarded in heaven. Because of the resurrection, you can live knowing that there is life beyond this place. And it's the fullness of life that God has provided. That is the miracle of the resurrection. The miracle of resurrection is this is not it. And there ain't no mask wearing in heaven. There's no COVID. There's no sickness, no mourning. We get new bodies. Hallelujah. We get to eat all the time. I mean, is that heaven you get to eat all the time, worship God, and not gain a pound with that new body? That is awesome. It was Jesus who taught us about heaven. The best news of all, because of the resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. If you have never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you should consider it. Because the issue is not what the church has done. It's not the Bible. It's not what Christians have done, those of you who met. The issue is that Jesus rose from the dead. And if I was sharing with you in that conversation that we started this whole thing, I would end the conversation by saying this. Please remember, I want you to please remember, no matter what you decide, no matter what you decide to in this whole thing, but please remember something. That what you think about whatever I've said, remember this, there's just one issue that you have to answer. Who is Jesus? And Easter answered that question once and for all. He is exactly who he claimed to be. He is the Savior and the Lord, and he is worth your consideration. In that first song that we sang today, I love the lyrics to this song, When Death Was Arrested. I want you to think about the first couple of lyrics in the song as if Mary Magdalene in between, in between the loss and the brokenness and the, and the death and the disappearance. In a few minutes, she was going to have life like she never had before. When we think about these lyrics of someone who is in sorrow and hopelessness and despair and disappointment, maybe you are Mary here today and in the sound of my voice where you say alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin what I do about my sin and sins that churchy term just means we miss the mark of what what we thought life was about and what God desired for us maybe you miss the mark because you've been on a downward spiral journey for many years and you have a past and you have a, a lot of shame associated with that you have regret that is ingrained into you and you feel alone in that. 
alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. How do you begin when you've messed up so much? How do you begin when all hope is lost? How do you kickstart it again? Well, this next verse tells us, your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began. Our lives begin when we understand that Jesus is who he says he is, does what he says he does. And because he came not only to give us a different kind of life, he came to be the context for our life. That no matter what you've done, look at this verse. Ash. Ash was redeemed. Only beauty remains. What does that mean? It means, anybody say, I want for Easter, I want the Easter bunny to bring me a basket full of ash. No, right? When we look at this verse, it means that God takes things that other people don't think have any value and give them value. It means that God takes your past that you're ashamed of and he gives it value. He takes your biggest mistakes, your biggest blunders, your biggest challenges, the things you are mostly ashamed of, and he redeems them and gives them value. You don't hear anything else. You are valuable to Jesus. So much so that he he got out of the tomb to give you life. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And you're Mary. My orphan heart was given a name. Mary alone, at that moment, she heard Mary. And Mary, you today may need to hear, may, may need the risen Lord to speak your name. Because you've been living, looking in the tombs of life. You've been dealing with loss and hopelessness. And today, Jesus is saying your name. You're not alone. You're not orphaned alone. He says, Mary, Mary. Because when death was arrested, your new life begins. Amen? All right. So um, we're going to go to our our last uh, song today and we are going to listen for the voice of Christ today. Just listen to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a prayer in a minute, minute here. So I'm going to ask that you just stand as we, um, as we, get, all, we get ready to, to move to this uh, last hymn on this Easter Sunday. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much, God. I want to thank you right now for the men and women that, my gosh, they, um, they sacrificed so much in these narratives. They became so vulnerable in these scriptures and these texts and these stories. And I thank you that these, these all have survived for centuries. So much so that we are here today still talking about them. And so, uh, Lord, I, I just want to thank you for the for Mary Magdalene sharing her story as, as rough as it may have been at times and, and for all the other ones who did so I give you thanks for them and so Father I, I pray uh, Father that it would simply not be the fact of the resurrection that we're leaning on but the implications of the resurrection that you are inviting us, that Jesus is inviting us 
into a saving relationship through him. That those of us who are in the midst of this, this whole kind of world where we're in between, that we hear our voice called out by the risen Lord saying, Mary, here I am. And that that ash that was there, that you find value in God, that you would raise back up and you would give our orphan hearts a name by calling us to who we need to be. Because after the crucifixion, there was nobody who was following you. But there are millions who do to here today. And so, Lord, I pray for your church. I pray for your people. And I pray mostly for those of us who need to hear the voice of our master telling us, here I am. Follow me. So, Lord, I pray that what you did back then to Mary and that you did in the, in the early people in the early centuries, you do it again right now in our presence. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that will empower your church. And we will push forward in the resurrection power of Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.
everyone and I pray that you will hear the voice of the Lord saying Mary and I'm going to also add this because I mean if anybody needs anything obviously with COVID and stuff we, we don't have the the whatever for uh, for altar calls and things like that um, but if hey if you need to talk and you need to get uh, you need to hear the voice of Jesus and you need to get from the dead area I'm here I got nothing to do to eat later so I mean it, it's all good alright everybody got it I don't know what I'm doing next week but Hey, he's risen and that's what matters. Have a great week. God bless.